Thank you for listening to the Abundant Life Sermon Podcast. Abundant Life is based out of Lee Summit, Missouri and has campuses throughout the Kansas City metro area and online. We want to see your life changed by Jesus. For more information about Abundant Life or for locations and service times, visit livingproof.co. Thanks for listening. Good morning, Abundant Life. So good to see you. It is Palm Sunday. It's kind of a big day. You know what it means? 2,000 years ago, Jesus fulfilled prophecy, going through the streets of Jerusalem in his triumphal entry. They were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, God most high. They were lining the streets with palm branches, embracing him as the long-awaited Messiah. But by the end of the week, many of them would yell, crucify him. Because what they could not imagine is that Messiah had come first for a cross before there would be a crown. And we're going to do something this morning, church, we've never done together as a church family on a Sunday morning. We're going to do a Passover Seder. And a lot of the roots of Judaism has been lost from modern Christians. But do you understand, much of what we believe and much of what we do as Christians goes back to Jewish rites and rituals and festivals and feasts, all of which were shadows and symbols of this promised one that will one day come. Jesus had gone to Jerusalem on this week with thousands of other Jewish pilgrims to celebrate Passover. He himself was about to become the Passover lamb. And today, the images that we use when we take communion or Lord's Supper is going to come alive now in a new way as we see the very thing that Jesus was doing with his disciples and what it means for you and I today. We have a very special group with us today. Jews for Jesus has been around since 1973, an amazing, dynamic organization. They're taking the gospel of Jesus as the Jewish Messiah to Jews all over the world. Many Jews today do not believe Jesus is that promised one, but they're taking the good news of Jesus to the Jews. And not only that, they're teaching non-Jewish believers like me and you what it means to take of the Passover, to remember all the symbols and shadows that Jesus embodied for centuries in these feasts and festivals. Would you give your very best welcome to Susan Perlman with Jews for Jesus right now as she comes to our platform. We're so excited, Susan, that you're here to help us through a Passover Seder. God bless you. Thank you, Pastor Phil, and shalom. It's so good to be here with you and to be able to share Christ in the Passover. You know, as a Jew, I've celebrated Passover all my life, as did my parents before me and their parents before them. But it wasn't until I became a follower of Jesus as a young adult that I came to see Christ in the Passover. And this morning, we're going to go through the ancient feast. We're going to go through Passover as it was celebrated by Jesus and his disciples. And hopefully this will show us meaning for our celebration of communion a little later in the service. But this is Palm Sunday. And so I thought a good place to begin would be in sharing some of the Palm Sunday instructions uh, Jesus assigned to his disciples We read in Mark 11 that as they approached Jerusalem and came uh, to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and just as you enter it, 
you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And when they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. And many people spread their cloaks on the street, while others spread branches that had, they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, or in Hebrew, Hoshienu. Baruch Bashem Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And of course, that was a great day of rejoicing, as Pastor Phil said, but came a day not too many days later when Jesus had another assignment for two of his disciples, and that was Peter and John. And it says in Luke chapter 22, then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. Now, what did they do in preparing the Passover? Well, Passover was the feast of unleavened bread. And so anything that had leaven in it or had touched leaven had to be removed from the place. And so this upper room that they found in Jerusalem was cleansed of all leaven. Uh, and at the conclusion of that cleansing process, uh, they would have said a prayer that goes like this. May any manner of leaven that is in my domain that I have not seen be considered null and void and as the dust of the earth. For you see, they've cleansed their home of leaven. Now, that prayer is found in a special book. This is called the Haggadah. You want to say that word with me? Haggadah. It means the telling or the retelling of the story of Passover. And parts of the Haggadah date back to around the time of the Babylonian captivity, around 586 BC. It includes the writings of the rabbis, the Exodus account itself, and the Seder, or the order of the service. And Passover takes on a particular order. It can all be paced by four cups of the fruit of the vine that are taken. Um, and before we take of them, though, we do have to begin with the lighting of candles, which is a role for the woman of the house. And uh, she covers her head. Now, if she's married, that is, she covers her head. I'm not married, but I think it's more dramatic this way. <laughs> and I also think it's very appropriate that it is the woman who brings light to the festival of redemption. For it isn't through the will of man, nor the seed of man, that he who is the light of the world came into the world, but it was through the will of God and the seed of the woman. And in this way, all women, I believe, are honored and blessed. And uh, there is a traditional blessing that's said. By the way, when you came in this morning, you might have picked one of these up. It's a little Haggadah, a mini Haggadah for you. If not, take one on your way out as a memento. But, and it includes uh, several of the blessings that are said, and one is the blessing over the candles. And it goes like this. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Kedshanu B'mitzvotav V'tzivanu L'hadlik Ner Shel Yom Tov. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by his commandments to kindle the holiday lights. 
Now, those of us in Jews for Jesus have come up with our alternative blessing that goes like this. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Be'Yeshua HaMashiach Or HaOlam Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us in Jesus, the Messiah, the light of the world. And I think that's a much more appropriate blessing for us as followers of the Messiah who is the light of the world. And now we are officially begun. By the way, this takes about four hours to complete. Um, but we are going to abbreviate this morning. I know you have places to go, things to do after the service. So I'm being uh, cognizant of that. Uh, but since I am abbreviating, I did want to mention, if you want a more comprehensive look at the Passover, I have a book with me in the, in the uh, foyer in the, my connections table called Christ in the Passover by our founder, Moish Rosen. And I also have my very own messianic coloring book that I did. So if you have children, grandchildren, this is a great little gift for Easter. Okay, my commercial is over. Um, <laughs> The wine, the cup of sanctification, the first cup that's taken. Um, and if you see four cups here, it's because we take of the fruit of the vine four times. Each time another name is given to the cup. But there's just one cup in front of each place setting. And the blessing over the cup of sanctification goes like this. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Borei Peri HaGathen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. And we take up this first cup. Now, Haggadah means the telling of the story of Passover. Well, if we tell the story, it's someone has to ask the question so the story can be related. And that's been reserved for the children in the family. It says in the scripture, when you come into the land and your children shall ask you, why do you do these things? Then you shall tell them it's the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. Now, um, if your children aren't curious, you don't have to worry about that because the questions are actually written out and they rehearse them and they say them to the head of the house. And they're called the Manishtana and they go like this. Why is this night different from all other nights? On all other nights, we eat either leavened or unleavened bread. Why on this night do we eat only unleavened bread? On all other nights, we eat all manner of herbs. Why on this night do we eat only bitter herbs? On all other nights, we don't even dip these herbs once. Why on this night do we dip them twice? And on all other nights, we eat either sitting or reclining. Why on this night do we recline? And I recall asking those questions in my home and my grandfather who would preside at the table would stroke his beard and look very wise and then proceed to answer the questions right out of the Haggadah. And um, each question was part of an object lesson in front of us. For instance, reclining at the table. Everybody at the table had a pillow or a cushion on their chair so they could recline. And this was to contrast the very first Passover, which was eaten standing, staff in hand, ready for a hasty departure out of the land of Egypt. But because God did redeem us, we're to be in a restful position when we celebrate it today. 
And you'll recall when Jesus celebrated the Passover with his disciples, they reclined at the table. Now the other items that help tell this Passover story are put in a special bag called a matzah tash. Matzah is the Hebrew word for unleavened bread. Tash means a pocket or a pouch. And it's also given another name. It's called a unity, but it's an interesting unity because there are three separate compartments to this matzah tash, and in each one is a wafer of the unleavened bread. Now, the rabbis have an explanation for this uh, unity. Some say it's a unity of the patriarchs, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Others say it could be a unity of worship of the priests, the Levites, their helpers, and Kol Israel, the entire congregation of Israel. But neither of these explanations makes a lot of sense when what happens next is the head of the house um, basically dips his hands in a bowl, a laver of water that has been blessed because he's about to handle what's considered the holy bread, and he removes the middle wafer of the matzah, and he breaks it. By the way, this is very PC today. We have gluten-free matzah. Um, but the wafer of matzah is now given a new name. It's called the afikomen. And it's wrapped in linen and buried for a time to be brought back from its place of burial later in the service. Now, envision this with me, okay? A three-in-one unity. The middle wafer broken, wrapped in linen, buried to be brought back from its place of burial later. It certainly speaks to me of a different unity. I mean, why would you break Isaac or the Levites? No, no explanation for that. But it certainly speaks to me of the unity of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And the matzah itself reminds me of our Savior. For one thing, it is unleavened as Jesus was without sin. For leaven throughout the scriptures is symbolic of sin. Also, part of the process of baking matzah is it's baked on a rack, so it ends up having stripes on it. And it's also pierced through so that it will bake evenly. And I can't help but think of the passage in the suffering servant portion of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 53, where it says of our Messiah, he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Now, I don't want you to forget about this hidden matzah. It will not stay hidden for the whole service. But we go on to answer the other questions that the children have asked, and the answers to them can all be found in items that are placed on this Seder plate. This is a six-compartment plate. This is not a deviled egg plate, okay? <laughs> and uh, each item tells the story. The first item is carpus uh, in Hebrew. It's parsley or cilantro and... This greens are there to represent life. And everyone takes a sprig of the parsley, 
at the table and then dips it into salt water, which represents tears, to remind us that a life without redemption is a life immersed in tears, and then we eat it. The next item is called chazeret in Hebrew, um, which is for a bitter root, either a horseradish root or an onion, and this is to remind us that the root of life is bitter. The next item is the ground up bitter root itself. This is freshly ground horseradish, and it's ground the very day uh, that it is eaten. So it's especially um, potent. And with um, a spatula of the unleavened bread, we take a nice heaping amount of the horseradish and ingest it. I'm not going to do this this morning because I want to finish this presentation. <laughs> but I can tell you that this much horseradish will cause a certain physiological reaction. Okay? <laughs> your eyes will start to tear. And in this way, we're to remember the tears that our ancestors shed when they were slaves in the land of Egypt. Now, the next item is a little sweeter and nicer to the taste. It's called charoseth in Hebrew. It's a mixture of chopped up apples and nuts and honey and cinnamon, uh, maybe a little manischewitz and... With, again, with a spatula of the matzah, this reddish-brown mixture is eaten. And it's reddish-brown to remind us of the color of the mortar by which we made the bricks for Pharaoh's storage cities. And sometimes it's asked of the rabbis, well, if this represents all our hard labor in Egypt, why is it so sweet to the taste? Ah, the rabbis replied, when we knew that our redemption was close at hand, even the bitterest of labor was sweet to the taste. And I think there's a lesson in that for us as believers as well, because uh, I'm sure there's no one in this room who hasn't been affected by some hardship, some difficulty, some sorrow. And yet, I believe when we keep our hearts and our minds and our eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus, now, what we have to endure here is just for a very short season compared to an eternity free of suffering that we're going to have with him. So, you know, even the bitterest of labor can be sweet to the taste. Well, the next item should remind us of a holiday very soon approaching, Easter. And the egg actually has been part of the Passover for uh, a very long time. It's called... Uh, Hagiga in Hebrew. It represents the morning sacrifice in the temple, and it's a roasted egg over an open fire. Uh, it was a joyous symbol in Judaism until 70 AD, and then what happened? The temple was destroyed, so now there is no longer a place of sacrifice. So when the egg is eaten at Passover, it's first cracked and peeled and sliced, dipped into salt water which represents tears as a symbol of mourning that the temple no longer stands yet for us as followers of yeshua of jesus this is a joyous symbol for the temple was rebuilt in three days amen, amen. well we finally get to the last item on the plate which is a bone it's called zoroa in hebrew and it's not any bone it's actually the shank bone of a lamb. And this is there to remind us of God's provision 
in ancient Egypt. And the story of Passover is told at this point of how we cry to the Lord to deliver us out of bondage to Pharaoh. And he heard our cry and he, he, rose, he, he raised up Moses as a deliverer for us and how God spoke to Moses in the midst of a burning bush and said to him, I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my miracles. And so he did. And God poured out these plagues upon the Egyptians uh, uh, as they would refuse to allow the Hebrew people to go. Uh, ten plagues in all. The first nine, the Jewish people were exempt from. But the tenth, the death of the firstborn, uh, did not exempt Jews, but God did provide a means of escape. And that was through a lamb. Not any lamb. It was to be an unblemished, spotless lamb, uh, and a male lamb, and a yearling lamb. And each family was instructed, they were instructed by Moses to take that lamb and to sacrifice it. Um, and it was to be uh, roasted and eaten whole with no bones broken. But first, its blood was drained into a basin. And then with some hyssop, which was a plant, the blood was taken and it was struck onto the side posts of the house where the lamb was to be eaten and onto the lentil of the door at the top. The remaining blood in the basin probably would have been left uh, at the foot of the door. I just wanted to think about that. On the two side posts, at the top of the door, at the base of the door, in a sense, sealing that door with a bloody cross. And the scripture says, and the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, no plague shall destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And of course, on that, land, uh, on that night, death came visiting a household here and touching a soul there. But wherever the blood of that spotless lamb was on the doorposts of the house, death passed over, hence the name of the holiday, Passover. And with that, we take of the second cup, which is called the cup of plagues, but we remove a drop of the fruit of the vine for each of the ten plagues, because you see in Judaism, a full cup is considered a cup of joy, and we are not to take joy in the suffering of others. So we have a diminished cup for the cup of plagues. And then it's time to have a meal. And it's quite a meal. Um, and I'm sorry I'm not serving you one today. Um, but instead, uh, we're, we're feasting on the word of God um, and, uh, and all that God has to give us beyond the physical sustenance that we also are so grateful for. But after this meal... The attention focuses back on the head of the house. Uh, the dishes are cleared away, and it's time to have the third cup. Now, remember I told you each of these cups is given its own name. The first was the cup of sanctification, or the kiddush. The second was the cup of plagues. The third cup is called the cup of redemption. And this is the same cup when we look in Luke 22 to see that Jesus mentions that, he took, it mentions that he took this cup after supper, that would have been the third cup, the cup of redemption, and said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood shed for you. 
I just can't imagine what it was like for the disciples sitting around that table, having gone through this tradition year in and year out. And the cup of redemption really symbolizing our redemption out of bondage and slavery in Egypt. And Jesus took it and he gave it new meaning. He gave it deeper meaning. He gave it meaning that went beyond just the disciples and that era of time. Uh, and in the same way as he took the cup, he also took the bread. Remember we buried that bread earlier? Well, it's now taken from its place of burial. And an invitation is given to everyone at the table. It goes like this. This is the bread of affliction, the poor bread that our ancestors ate when we were slaves in Egypt. Then we were slaves, now we are free. All who hunger come and eat of it. You see, as Jews in 2022, we're to count ourselves as actually having been slaves in Egypt. But isn't it true for us as followers of Jesus Christ that we're to count ourselves as well as having been at Calvary when the Lord was crucified? I think of the words of that old spiritual, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they nailed him to a tree? Brothers and sisters, I was there because my sins put him there and your sins put him there. But yet this bread has somehow the power to change slaves into free people. And all who hunger are invited to eat of it. And as was the tradition, the bread was broken into olive-sized pieces and passed around the table to each person. Olive size because the rabbis reckoned that an olive was the smallest item of food you could say a blessing over in Judaism. Anything smaller than an olive would be kind of like saying thank you for nothing, God. So you needed to have at least an olive size. And that was taken together with that third cup, the cup of redemption, the bread of affliction, the cup of redemption. And we're about to do that now, today. He took this, and he made this more than just something for him and his disciples. God used this for us. And this was the very supper that Jesus was celebrating with his disciples. You look in scripture, it says after supper, he took the cup, the third cup, the cup of redemption. And he took out that bread, the bread of affliction. Keep in mind these shadows, these symbols have been instituted by God centuries prior. This is not a symbol that's been imposed upon him afterward, but rather God was writing a picture long before it would ever happen. A shadow pointing to the Messiah who himself would become that bread, who himself would become that lamb. He took out that bread. Remember, it had been buried throughout that dinner. And as he did, he broke it, 
because his body was about to be broken. The bread of life was about to be afflicted. And on this night, he gave it a whole new meaning that for century and century and century, the Jews had done over and over and over again, but they could not have fathomed what they're about to learn from the Son of God himself who would say these words after having broke that bread again into little pieces, take ye, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do as often as you eat it in remembrance of me. And Jesus, we do eat this bread lest we ever forget that we remember that you are that bread of affliction, that bread of life that came down from heaven, that you would give your body to be broken on our behalf, broken for our sin, that you were flogged to buy our freedom, you were pierced to ease our pain, and by your stripes we are healed. And it was on your body that you would take our sin, that he that knew no sin would become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And you would bear the wrath of a holy, just God for the sins of men and women. And after having eaten of the bread, he took that cup the cup of redemption. And throughout scripture, the fruit of the vine is a picture of blood. And he was about to shed his blood. Hebrews 9, there is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. First John 1 and verse 8, it's the blood of Jesus Christ, his son that cleanses us of all sin. And year after year, the Jews would take the blood of that lamb and they would put it on the doorposts of their home in the sign of a cross. And the very next day, the Passover lamb would indeed shed his blood on a cross. So that now as God looks at your life and you put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of your heart, he no longer sees your sin, but he passes over your sin. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And indeed, the Apostle Paul, a trained Pharisee, would see the imagery very quickly. In 1 Corinthians 5, he would write these words, Christ, our Passover. He took that cup, he said these words, this is the covenant, the New Testament, in my blood. Drink of it as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And Jesus, we drink of this cup with new knowledge that as you drink of that cup, 2,000 years ago in celebration of the Passover that within just hours you'd be in the Garden of Gethsemane praying to the Father if it be possible 
let this cup pass from before me. But there would be no other way and you would say, not my will, but your will be done. And you would drink of the Father's wrath, the cup of wrath, so that we could drink from the cup of redemption. And we drink of this cup to remember the blood was shed of the sinless Son of God, who had become the resurrected Lamb of God. You give your body to be broken as the bread of affliction, and you shed your blood as the cup of redemption. We thank you that we can be numbered among the redeemed, that when you see us now, you pass over our sin, for you see the blood. In Jesus' name, amen. What a beautiful and powerful story of the foreshadowing of Jesus. And I hope that you've seen just the significance of this meal as we celebrate the Lord's Supper today. I want to invite you, our response is worship. I want to invite you to, to, to involve yourself in this moment. You can remain seated. We're going to lift up his name, Jesus, in this place, all across our campuses together, over at Blue Springs, Independence Online, just in this moment. Let's just respond to a holy God this morning as we worship of what Christ has done for us. May I never boast in anything except the cross of Jesus Christ. And may I not forget the bloody shed. It is by his death I
Well, we're not quite finished with the Passover yet. There is a fourth cup, uh, which is called the cup of praise, and it is taken at this point. Um, uh, that it's called the Hallel cup because Hallelujah means praise ye the Lord. Cup of Hallel, cup of praise. And we sing the praise psalms at this point. The Hallel psalms are Psalms 113 through 118. And I have a short compilation of them that I'd like to read for you now. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. The Lord is my strength and song and has become my salvation. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go through them and I will praise the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall enter. I will praise you for you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, Jesus our Messiah. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And after we sing of these hymns and uh, from the, the Psalter, from the Psalms, um, it says in the scripture that Jesus and his disciples went out. But there is actually a fifth cup that is taken. Uh, not the four cups, but a fifth one for the prophet Elijah. For in Jewish tradition, it's thought that Elijah would come at Passover time. It's not in the scriptures, but um, we uh, anticipate his coming and we read in Malachi 4 verse 5 that when Elijah returns, he will usher in that great and terrible day of the Lord. And so there's a messianic expectation there. And a child in the home is sent to the door to open the door to see if Elijah might have made his way to their home that Passover. There's a cup that's poured that no one else drinks from a place setting that's there for him that no one else sits at. I remember once uh, as a seven-year-old being sent to the door of our home to open it for the prophet Elijah. Um, and uh, we lived in an apartment house. So when I opened the door, I looked out in the hallway and there was this old man sitting there. Um, <laughs> he had a beard. He looked like he was a little wary. And uh, I thought he made this journey all the way to my house in Brooklyn, New York. I was so excited. I called in, Mommy, Daddy, Elijah's here, Elijah's here. And I remember my father shot up out of his seat and came running to the door. <laughs> and he looked at the man and he looked at me and he said, Honey, this is not the prophet Elijah. Um, and I looked so disappointed. He said, But we can hope and pray he'll come next year. And I actually took that like money in the bank. And the next year I went to the door fully expecting to see Elijah, but no one was there. And no one was there the year after that. And I, I imagine many Jewish children were disappointed that Elijah didn't come to their home. But one did come. 
And he came in the spirit and in the power of Elijah. And Jesus said of him that he would have been Elijah to us had we let him. His Hebrew name was Yochanan, but you know him better as John. John the Baptist, a man dressed in animal skins, eating honey and locusts and preaching a powerful message to the people. John said, repent, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And one day while he was preaching, down by the Jordan River, Scripture records, his cousin approached, and obviously he knew him, but when he saw Jesus coming, he said these words that might have been the first time he understood Jesus' true office and role, for he said, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Now, let me tell you, any Jewish person who had ever celebrated Passover understood what John meant. I mean, we were waiting for the Messiah. We wanted, of course, a king Messiah who was going to come in on his horse and, and, and loose the bonds of Roman slavery and set us free. But the scripture also painted a portrait of a suffering Messiah a lowly Messiah, a sacrifice Messiah, a Messiah who opened not his mouth but was obedient to death, even the death of the cross, so that you and I could pass over from spiritual death to new life. You see, unlike the lamb of old that was provisioned for one household in the land of Goshen in Egypt, God sent his only son, a once and for all sacrifice, not just for one household, but for each and every one of us. Jesus' blood was shed and poured all the way back in history and all the way forward so that it might cover the doorposts of our hearts that we would know forgiveness of our sins. We would know new life. The Apostle Paul probably said it best when he said, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Friends, I mean, here we are, Palm Sunday, the beginning of a week that culminates in Resurrection Sunday. But in order to get to Resurrection Sunday, we need to go through Calvary. And that was what God was telling us in the Passover. It's my prayer that this be a blessed week for you, one that goes from rejoicing to tears to rejoicing again. Amen. Susan, thank you. Jesus said in John 4, salvation is of the Jews. Salvation wasn't merely for the Jews but it came through the Jews. It was the Jews that would give us Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one, God's son, that would come for the sins of men so that we could be forgiven and become like him. And so many symbols of Judaism helps us understand so much more of what it means to be a Christian. Now, it's not that you go back to the law to find salvation. That's kind of a trending movement right now. And Paul wrote an entire book called Galatians for that very reason. 
The Jewish rites, the rituals, the customs, the feasts, the festivals, they have no saving power whatsoever. They're merely, they're merely shadows of our salvation. They're not the substance of our salvation. But you can see, as we begin to study what Jesus meant when he said salvation is of the Jews, that he embodied all of them. They all pointed to him so that now we can be numbered among the redeemed, having applied the blood of the lamb to our hearts. So he passes over our sin, sees us as members of his kingdom, God's children. Listen very carefully. The message is still the same. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is nearer than you think. Are you ready to see him? Are you ready to see Jesus? Because this same Jesus who came the first time as a suffering Messiah to hang up on a cross, he is coming again. This time not for a cross, but for a crown. And he's going to usher in a kingdom that will be without end. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And today, if you're not ready and you don't know your destiny eternally, today is the day to make ready. And whatever campus you are watching, even online, you can respond today, right now. There's going to be a response team right here, church. And some of you that aren't certain what it means to be a Christian, whether or not you know him, whether or not you're ready, as we begin to go our separate ways, you need to come this way. Let somebody pray with you, answer questions for you. But for those of us that know him, I can't think of a better time than right now to stand together and sing to the King. Jesus, be glorified, be magnified in our worship. I pray that we could hold you higher, that the light of God would shine brighter. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you give him glory with me today? Praise him, would you? Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure and subscribe and share with a friend. We hope today's message inspired and challenged you. Let's go be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. For more information about Abundant Life, visit livingproof.co or follow us on social media at Abundant Life LS.